Dan Seifert joins me and Dieter to talk about Apple's new iPhones, all four of them, the new HomePod. And I promise you, we talk a lot about Dolby Vision cameras. That's coming up now. This episode is brought to you by InterSystems Iris. Developers, you got some extra time on your hands? Use it to learn a new database. InterSystems Iris allows you to connect your systems, use any data model, and apply machine learning so you can build data-intensive and mission-critical applications in no time. Now's your chance to level up your database platform and try out InterSystems Iris, the fastest way to build applications. Ready, set, code. Visit intersystems.com slash tryiris to learn more. That's intersystems.com slash T-R-Y I-R-I-S. If you game, you know settling into your battle station feels enlivening. But gaming on Alienware gear with Intel Core i9 processors, it's more than that. It's a feeling you won't forget. It's where intentional design blurs the line between fantasy and reality. It's where your gear feels like an extension of you. Sometimes it's so immersive, so responsive, you can't tell yourself from your machine. If you're ready to feel one with your gear, start gaming at Alienware.com, featuring the Alienware M15. Hello and welcome to the flagship podcast with extended dynamic range. Mm. It's like we're a trade pub, you know, like XDR Weekly. Yeah. You come out. More more <laughs> nits than you could possibly imagine. That was like a Control-Walt-Delete intro. Although, if we're going to complain, we'd be, we'd be picking him, wouldn't we? Oh, stop it. Okay. <laughs> I'm Neil Patel. Dieter Bone is here. I'm also here. Dan Seifert is here. I, I am here as well. Hello. So, uh, iPhone, it was iPhone week. It happened to us. It, yeah. it occurred. Finally. Yeah, it took, a, it took a little bit longer than usual because of COVID. So, that's where I'm going to start because that's where I start every week. 31 weeks since uh, the president said there would be a national testing plan with a website built by four to five million Google engineers, I believe it was. You go to a website, blah, blah, and the website is uh, small. It's related to uh, Verily. And there's no national testing plan. And this is true. This is a true thing that happened this week. Uh, Nancy Pelosi's, uh, I believe it was her press secretary, chief of staff for press secretary, tweeted, Congress is working with the president. The big sticking point is the White House does not understand the need for a comprehensive national testing plan. Okay. I just... Remember, there was supposed to be a website. There was a flow chart and everything. Anyway, it's mm-hmm. been 31 weeks since that happened. Just going to keep counting. Uh, just some other quick COVID updates. Again, remains the biggest story in the world. Uh, this week, mostly kind of like a platform content moderation zone. But Johnson & Johnson paused COVID-19 vaccine trials due to unexpected illnesses. We're tracking that very closely. Mary Beth Griggs is writing a newsletter called Antivirus Every Week. You can just check in on the status of it so you don't have to like be flooded with it. I find it very useful. And then what I was saying about content moderation, Facebook announced a ban on anti-vaccination ads because that will be a problem when this vaccine hits in whatever form it hits. And YouTube said it will remove videos with COVID-19 vaccine misinformation. So platforms are being a little preemptive here in terms of how they're moderating vaccine-related content because it, it feels like we're going to get closer to this vaccine over time and actually getting people to comply and take it is important once it is actually here. I mentioned the platform moderation stuff because as we are recording right now, there is a massive platform content moderation controversy unfolding in the United States of America, which we are basically not going to talk about at all. Uh, I just want to comment on it and say we we know it's here. Um, our policy desk, Addie McKenna Russell, all covering it furiously, but 
uh, Twitter and Facebook preemptively took down or are limiting the reach of news reports about Hunter Biden. It's a whole thing. Andy wrote a great piece about it. Just 15 things we know and takeaways from the situation. Go read that. And right as we sat down to start recording, uh, chairman of the SEC, Ajit Pai, he tweeted that the FCC has decided has the authority to interpret Section 230, mm. which is wild mm. because he doesn't. And we don't know why he thinks he does, but that's what he announced. I think that power is vested into the FCC by the power of a giant Reese's coffee cup. Yeah. It's like a, a scepter, right? If you hold it, then you're in charge of 230. Anyway, that's going on. It's literally happening as we're recording, so I don't have a lot to say about it. Next week, we'll be busy. All these weeks are going to be busy. A major theme of the next few weeks in the lead up of the election is pressure placed on platforms uh, from both sides to moderate in different ways into the election and then the aftermath of the election, which promises to be chaotic. So Addie, McKenna, Russell, all doing a great job. Read that Addie post, 15 things to know about the Hunter Biden scandal. It it just lays it out really well. I thought it was really well done. Uh, And then McKenna is tracking this FCC 230 thing very closely. So check out the site on that. We need to mention it. It's important. It is huge breaking news as we were recording. But uh, because it's unformed, I, I just don't have a lot to say about it right at the second and by the time you hear about it tomorrow, uh, everything will have changed anyway. So that's the nature of 2020. Okay. All that said, there's an iPhone. There's four four of them. Adidas Walk. This was a weird event. Verizon got a branded content segment. At one point, can I just say my favorite <laughs> moment from this whole event? Like, they've all been infomercials. We've talked about mm-hmm. it this whole time. The moment when Tim Cook was standing in this empty Steve Jobs theater and the screen behind him had a giant 5G logo, just like broadcasting to no one. I was like, oh, yeah, that's it's a, this is a visual metaphor for the entire 5G situation. Someone <laughs> tweeted a supercut of every time somebody said 5G during uh, the event, and it is it you will break your brain. Oh my god! All right, tell us about the phones. Well, you want so the phones were second after the HomePod Mini, so we'll come back to that later. But they introduced that. We get to the phones. There are four. There are two Pros, the Pro and the Pro Max, iPhone 12, and then there's a regular iPhone 12, and then there's the iPhone 12 mini. And much to my chagrin, I I have a chagrin, and much to it, 5G was the headline feature. Uh, Yeah. They all have 5G. They really want you to know that they have 5G. They care deeply about the importance of 5G, and it's going to revolutionize everything and approve that to you. Verizon is going to come on and get its own special segment. They're going to light up their nationwide sub-6 network, so it's not just millimeter wave anymore. And uh, then we'll talk about the phones now, which, have you heard, (laughs) did you know that they have 5G? They got all 5Gs. Yep. (laughs) So uh, we we need to talk about the phones, but you just said some, like, code words there. (laughs) Sub-6 millimeter wave. There's no way to talk about the phones in 5G without unpacking that a little. Can you just do a little bit on that? So sub-6, is it's the the spectrum that gets used to deliver the wireless signal to you. And the the sub-6 is is very close to what you're used to with LTE and 3G and whatever. And it, it travels far, penetrates buildings, and isn't like insanely fast, but it can be faster. Then there's millimeter wave, which is the thing that up to now Verizon has been using as its 5G, and it is the the 
We're just friends here. Don't tell anybody. It is the biggest scam in the history <laughs> of phones. You, it only works on like certain street corners. If you go look at Verizon's 5G map, you could just like you just like see dark lines on streets in a few major cities, and that's that was their 5G network. And you had to go stand on that street, look and get line of sight with the tower, and then you would get insane, wicked fast 5G speeds. Um, so. U.S. has, especially with Verizon, a lot of – they've been putting a lot more effort into millimeter waves than everybody else. Everybody else is like, oh, yeah, phones. They should use, you know, spectrum and radios that are optimized for phone things. And so everybody else just made good 5G networks. We are somewhere in the middle. We're wait, waiting to reallocate spectrum, et cetera. The reason all this matters is Verizon had, only had those millimeter wave. They, we've been waiting for them to launch their nationwide regular 5G network that actually is useful for phones. And they decided to take the opportunity of the launch of the iPhone 12s to do it, which meant that both Tim Cook and Hans Vesterberg, CEO of Verizon, both said 5G is real now. Uh, yeah. Didn't like implying that it didn't matter before when. Uh, you know, Android phones has it. Now that the iPhone has it, now it matters, which is... <laughs> or that it didn't matter before when T-Mobile had a gigantic, well, comparatively gigantic, sub-sig 5G network. Right. Yeah. Rockin'. They both have their own reasons for wanting to say it wasn't real until now. Uh, they also both have reasons for wanting to say it is real now because they want to sell phones. And um, it's it's Okay. You will sometimes get slower speeds on 5G than you will on 4G. Uh, you will have a hard time finding a millimeter wave signal no matter what network you're on. And it, it's just not going to be life-changing. All of the hypey promises from the 5G hype industrial complex are not coming true right now. They may be true in two years. And so if you need to buy a new phone um, and you think you're going to have your phone for more than a couple of years, it makes sense to maybe get a 5G phone. But you shouldn't buy it just because it has 5G. The thing is... Even if they become true in two years, and and like I don't think Apple nailed this either. Nobody has really given the use case for having one gigabit, two gigabit speeds on your phone, other than download movies fast and download big games fast. Like so, like even if it comes true in two years and millimeter wave is somehow magically everywhere, what do you do with it? You download games fast and you download movies fast. Yeah, I, I don't want to discount like faster is always a compelling upgrade, right? Yeah. But faster, you got to get a new phone plan, which may or may not be more expensive. Faster, you got to get a new phone. Faster, you're going to do all those things and still not even get it. It's a little, it's a tougher sell. And I do think the 5G hype industrial complex, I mean, I think Greg Joswiak, he's, you know, he's the new SVP of, of marketing at Apple. He replaced Phil Schiller. He's a good dude. Like, yeah, I like talking to him a lot. But he had this moment in the keynote where he was like, here's what 5G can do. And he showed like a doctor looking at some medical imaging on a street corner. And he was like, not being able to download that file fast enough is the difference between life or death. And I'm like, I think the stakes are just not that high. Like, <laughs> if, if that's the situation you're in with your medical professionals, like maybe you have a different set of problems. <laughs> Right. Like there's no other radiologist available in the world to look at your, your imaging file. Like and that has just been and I don't mean to put that on Apple or Jaws or anybody like that has just been how the carriers have talked about 5G the whole time. Right. It's going to enable telemedicine and remote learning in rural areas. And all, like it will. Uh, the joke I keep making is it will feed and clothe your family. And it is just faster wireless networking, which is great. <laughs> but it. it 
it, it would be like if the Wi-Fi six people were like, you gotta, you gotta get this Wi-Fi six. Like, can you, can, you can't wait to download stuff faster. And like, they can't support it because everyone already, anyway, the point of all this is it was the highlight feature of the iPhone event. The 5g is finally real now is deeply funny for a variety of reasons. Not least of which is that 5g in the rest of the world is more widespread and faster than 5g in the United States right now. Hmm. So we were like on our meeting after the event talking about all the stuff we're going to cover. And Tom Warren was like, you guys keep complaining. 5g in the UK is great. <laughs> I was like, Crap. <laughs> like that's true. And so you know, the question I have is most people are going to buy this phone. They're just going to get it. They're going to be inundated with 5G yep. hype. And then they're going to pull it out of the box and it's not going to be 5G. The thing is, like, even if it's great, though, like, I mean, we, we talked about millimeter wave. Other parts of the world are not using millimeter wave. But, like, they're also not, like, 5G on, like, sub-6 or other frequencies is, like, Dieter said, slightly faster. But we're not we're not talking about, like, two, three, four times faster. We're talking, like, 20% faster. Like, that's not, like, a, a dramatic increase. That's Is that worth the cost of the phone? And we, we'll talk about the cost, I'm sure, about the, the iPhone 12 is significantly more expensive than the iPhone 11. Is it worth that cost for 25 megabits faster download speeds? For 25 meg, I would take it for 25 megabits. Uh, let's talk about the phones. <laughs> we, yeah, yeah. we should come back to 5G. I didn't mean to fall down that the rabbit hole quite so fast. Well, but. we needed to start there because that's where Apple started. That was like the central conceit of the of yeah. what they're pitching here, right? Yeah, but so okay, so there's four phones. Yep. Okay. So again, 12, 12 mini, 12 Pro, 12 Pro Max. The interesting thing though is you would think, okay, so the 12 and the 12 mini are the same. One is big, one is small. The 12 is obviously the successor to the iPhone 11. And then the Pro and Pro Max are the same. One is, you know, kind of big and one is very big. Uh, but actually the split between them gets way more complicated because the Pro Max has different camera hardware. It has a telephoto lens. So does the Pro, but it also has a larger sensor. So you like you really start getting in these weird divisions between the capabilities of these different phones. Um, the main one and the one that I suspect most people will buy and that I think it's probably once we get through the reviews going to be the answer for most people is the standard iPhone 12. And the big changes there, um, there's 5G. There's now a new design. They all have and share the new design with flat rails that are on, on the side, either aluminum or steel, depending on the model. It looks, people are saying it's like designed to look like the iPad Pro. It's a little bit reminiscent of the iPhone 4, but it's just, they're very, very flat. Uh, not exactly sharp edges, but it just, it looks very modern to me. And then you also on the iPhone 12 switch over from an LCD panel to a OLED panel. Um, and you, of course, you use Face ID to unlock the phone. There's no fingerprint sensor. Um, the cameras have an upgrade on the 12, but it the main, main thing is Apple is saying that's moved the ball forward on computational photography. And they also have a, a slightly better aperture on the main sensor. So it should be slightly better in low light. Dan, do you want to do your aperture math? You've done it. You've done it so loudly in every meeting we've had so far. <laughs> <laughs> so, ready for some specs. So, last year's iPhone 11, it had an f 1.8 lens. This year on the iPhone 12, it's an f 1.6 lens. It is about, I think Apple quotes 27% more light. When you're talking about that in terms of like pictures that you take, that is uh, one third of one stop brighter. So that means that if you had to use one sixtieth of a second shutter speed with the iPhone 11, you can now use one eightieth of a second with the iPhone 12. 
it's a pretty marginal, not very significant difference in terms of brightness. It may make a difference in some edge cases, and I think Apple really loves to show off the edge cases that it, that it does make a difference in, but in everyday use, you're really unlikely to see a difference between the iPhone 11 and the iPhone 12 in terms of brightness or image quality due to the lens. Now, the processing might be different, and, and if the processing is different, that can change the story significantly. That's what we know from phone cameras is processing matters all, but with the lenses, it looks like a lot on paper. In real life, it's not that much. Yeah. Oh, I should mention that there's also there's two lenses. It's an regular and an ultra wide on the the base models, the twelve and the twelve mini. And they did say with the ultra wide in particular, they've reduced the distortion at the edges, which is great. Dan, you mentioned edge cases on the camera. All the photos they showed us are extreme edge cases. Yeah. So night mode on the front camera in a bar only lit by neon. Oh, so that's the, they went to your house. Yeah, exactly. They're in my basement. <laughs> no, just like you're in a brightly lit desert, but you're inside of a tent. Right. Right. And like there's like crazy, like a major edge case. You're using uh, portrait mode at night. Like they did not. If you just look at the photos they're showing off, they're not showing you took a photo outside of your kid. Right. And I my belief here is that the improvements on the camera of the smart HDR three, which is what they have now. Mm-hmm. In sort of normal situations, they're very minor, but their ability to capture and create photos in a wider range of situations has been increased. That's just that's what I got from the photos they were showing us is that these are all these are all edge cases or not. You're just at your house taking a photo. Like at, at the end of the day, I think the the leap from the iPhone 10s to the iPhone 11 was much more significant than what we're seeing from the iPhone 11 to the iPhone 12 in terms of camera. Now, that may be different with the 12 Max and its its new camera system. Maybe that's giving that big leap. But in terms of the iPhone 12 and the 12 Pro that have essentially very similar camera systems to last year, we're not seeing the same kind of generational leap. So the, the story of smartphone cameras for 2020 is Samsung comes out and says, all right, we are going to be the ones to move it forward this time. We're not going to let Google do it. We're not going to wait for Apple. We're going to be the ones. We're doing it with 108 megapixel sensor that does pixel binning. And we're like, cool, but it can't focus. <laughs> uh, so they had to fix out the laser later. Google and the Pixel, you know, we're actually not going to get into the Pixel reviews. We've got a whole other episode that's coming out on that on Tuesday with that. So stay tuned for that. But it made pretty minor updates to its cameras. So the big question for the iPhone is, is this more tweaking or does their new computational photography move to the state of the art significantly forward? Or is it Basically, in the same way that Samsung and Google did, is it like tweaks around the edges? Is it, you know, year-over-year improvements that feel iterative instead of like, oh, man, this is a reason to go get this phone? Yeah, I mean, we're going to have to see it, right? Like, what, what did we learn from the 10s? It took pretty medium pictures. It didn't make a dent, <laughs> right? Like, it, whatever. It's just like this is this year's iPhone, and it takes worse pictures than the Pixel. Maybe one person and God bless you, listener, decided to switch to a pixel because of it, right? Like, I think it was James Barron. I think it was our former creative director, James Barron. I think that's the person. And so, you know, like, we have to see the Pro Max with this bigger sensor. We have to see what it's capable of. They're obviously very proud of it. It's just not out yet. And that kind of leads me to, you know, the the jump from the 11 to the 12 is very big, right? Like, 
OLED display, new design, 5G. Smaller size. Smaller size. We should talk about the the processor, too, a little bit, because it seems like it's, you know, everyone's like, oh, my God, the processor seems fast. But they're putting a lot of a lot of work into this thing that does a lot more with photo processing. And so it it may be that that's uh, it may feel faster um, than the last time. We never really see directly the speed improvements, except in certain things like photo processing or editing video or something. But it may be that it will enable future things to happen, you know, more easily because it's on the new five nanometer process and it is so much faster. Yeah, and you know, I, I always think of i the iPhone processor claims to me are never about now; they're always about three years from now. You didn't upgrade, and your iPhone still feels pretty fast. Because it was always so fast to begin with. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's great. But, like, the year-to-year jump, new design, OLED display. Like, what was the big knock on the 11 was that it had a fairly low-resolution LCD. And, you know, I'm the one who's like, the most display nerd. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's like, unless you're a, a huge display nerd, like, this is going to be fine. But now it's got the OLED at high res. It looks, seems to be, the spec-wise seems to be right on par with the Pro. Yeah, I mean, it's just a huge jump from the 11 to the 12. But then if you look at the 12 line, the difference between the 12 and the 12 Pro is utterly tiny. It's like one more camera. Yeah. And the ability to shoot Dolby Vision video at 60 frames per second instead of 30, which kind of hints that the Pro has more more RAM. And then it, yeah, it, there's the case is different. Like trying to like decide, I was I was talking about this with, with Haim uh, yesterday for like an hour because both of us are trying to figure out which one do you choose? I know he, he was working on some comparison posts and things like that between the 12 and the 12 Pro. And I think one of the biggest like things that the 12 Pro has going in its favor is that it starts at twice the storage. So mm. once you like upgrade the 12 to that 128 gig storage, you start getting into like spitting distance of the 12 Pro pr- price where it's like, okay, I can justify a hundred bucks for that third third lens and that stainless steel body and maybe that like ever so slightly brighter screen in extreme sunlight. Like they really like made this really hard to choose in a clear, concise way. If you want more storage, you maybe should just go with the pro. They didn't make that hard to choose at all. They made it easy to spend 100 extra dollars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. The other thing about pricing that we should actually mention is uh, carriers, especially Verizon and AT&T, are being remarkably aggressive at uh, offering, you know, subsidy plans and deals and trade-ins and whatever to move these phones. Especially the 12. Yeah, to the point where, like, the initial pricing that got listed was, like, the discounted price you get from these carriers, not the actual unlocked price. Which was like thirty bucks more. Can we just take a just a pause? I want to talk about the phones. This was the most weirdly carrier-driven iPhone event ever. Yeah, like in a icky way, like in a straight-up icky way. Verizon on stage, being like, "It's finally here." The hype waves are coursing through your body as you speak, right? <laughs> and then the price of the phone is that they're showing on screen is a carrier subsidized price. And, you know, in all the other conversations we're having, we're hearing about AT&T and Verizon being aggressive with the phone. Like, there's more carrier 
shenanigans with this iPhone than any other that I can ever think of. The last time the carrier was this much part of the conversation, I think there was two two instances when it was, and it was 2011 in February or whatever it was when the iPhone finally lost it. The the exclusivity with AT&T was over and it came to Verizon. Like Verizon was a big part of that announcement for obvious reasons. And then the original announcement in 2007 when like, AT&T or Singular at the time was like very excited to be the carrier that had the iPhone. Like they were very much part of the conversation. But since then, it doesn't matter. But if you remember that original one, 2007, right? They like Steve Jobs is like, and this asshole, let me put it on his network. And like Stan Stigman (laughs) shows up and he's like, we're so proud of you. And Steve's like, I didn't let them do shit. Right. And then he's like, here's the plan we invented. The iPhone data plan, 30 bucks a month, unlimited edge. That's what you get. It's the only plan available for the iPhone. Get the fuck off my stage. Like it was still it was Apple's event. We remember this event a little differently, but okay. Uh, it was a glorious moment in in unbending the carrier control of America. I, it's, it's like mythic status. I never want to watch it again. That's how I remember it. And that's fine. Uh but like the entire the the attitude there was very much like this is Apple's phone. Thank you, AT and T. But Apple had a custom data plan. It was unlimited. Thirty. They're like, we're gonna make the plan simple. This time, it's more like even to know how much the phone costs, you have to navigate carrier pricing shenanigans. Yeah, yeah, right. You're only gonna get that price if you sign a two year contract. Unli- like whatever Verizon thinks unlimited means is part of the iPhone story now. The thing that is like the most striking about this is that carrier discounted pricing is what is on Apple's website and what was Apple was showing on stage. Like normally like Apple will show the price and then like the carriers will say like they'll they'll advertise their trade-in deals, they'll advertise their discounts, what have you. This is why it's so hard to know how much Samsung phones cost, by the way. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If you go to Samsung.com, this is this, seriously, if you go to Samsung.com and you look at a Fold 2 which is a $1,980 phone, it is advertised to you at like $1,100 because it says in fine print after trade-in and then, or it might be advertised (laughs) to you at like $40 a month for 48 months. Uh, So like, this is like just a very odd thing to see Apple doing, Apple who is always like staunchly kind of like spat in the face of the carriers and done away with their shenanigans or whatever. And now they are like literally obfuscating the real price on their own website until you get to the checkout and you're like, oh, I'm not a Verizon or AT&T customer. Yeah. Or I just want to buy the unlocked thing and now I have to pay more. And yeah, it's only $30. Sure. You're already spending $800 on the thing. $30 is not a huge difference, but like, that's not the point. The point is you're paying more at the end of it than you were when you started the process. It's weird, by the way, that T-Mobile is not doing this discounting, right? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they just, maybe John Ledger is just a a No, he's gone. Well, no, but like a year ago when they were negotiating the deals, maybe John Ledger was John Ledger like, was like, look, I'm out of here. I don't care. He blew it off to go do barbecue <laughs> on Sunday, and they just didn't get the deal done. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe they'll have some by the time. I mean, by the time you listen to this, the, the pre-orders will be live, and, and who knows what deals will be live. But like, but yeah, it is odd that it is literally only AT&T and Verizon, at least at the time of, of recording this. 
But again, that's like the oddest part is the fact that like Apple's showing the carrier price. It's not showing the real price. And that's so weird. My concern is that this is a symptom of the real reason that the 5G hype industrial complex is exists and has everybody so excited is that the technology, the technological architecture of the network and like the way that it's being launched and run and the way it necessarily might have to be in order to like work as 5G seeds a little bit more control to the carriers than they had before at like some very baseband fundamental level. And that this moment here isn't a direct, you know, symptom necessarily, but it's part of a trend of carriers resting back more control over what happens with our phones. Yeah, look, if you're Apple and you are facing effectively flat iPhone sales every year and you're trying to, you know, get more services, revenue, all this stuff, and Verizon decides that this is the year they're going to sell more Samsung phones, and they just turn that lever by three or four percent. Right? I think Apple has to play ball now because they can't just count on ever increasing iPhone sales. Now they can count on iMessage lock-in, so maybe that's fine. But that the numbers that these companies play with hundreds of millions of phones, like two or three percent of marketing budget, and like those are those become real numbers really fast. So we'll see. I. I don't like I I feel like we're just constantly we've spent 30 minutes just yelling about 5G and carriers. Yeah, we haven't like we're like we should we talk about the phones. We barely talked about the phones. We've said it like 10 times. We got to talk about the mini. Everyone everyone's hype about the mini. They come in blue. The mini yeah. is super interesting to me, right? How come? It's small and it's good. Is what I like it, it doesn't lose anything from the the big one, the 12. I right? think that's very interesting. That know. doesn't exist in the market. So, right. So, uh, they've got they with because they have a 5 nanometer chip because they have the ability, I think we have to figure out what the battery life is with 5G, but it seems like they have the ability to save some batteries. So they can use a smaller battery. OLED screen draws less power, doesn't have LCD backlighting. So they were able to basically make the full phone smaller, necessarily make the battery smaller. Yeah. It's not like there's wasted space inside the 12. And like ship it finally and finally be like, it's here. And I, th- that to me is like great. I, I have no idea if this thing's going to be the biggest hit in the world or just medium, but all signs point to the biggest hit in the, uh, in the world. Yeah. They also, they can do a thing that no Android manufacturer can do, which is they can say, this is the same chip, but we're going to we're gonna spend a little bit more time tuning it for low power for the smaller phone. And like, they actually don't need to tell anybody, right? Like, they could just be like, <laughs> it'll use the small cores a little bit more often. Nobody will feel it because iPhones always feel fast in the first place. So where Google and Samsung need to go to Qualcomm and uh, get the like the chip that's got the lower number on it so that, and then, you know, so it can be cheaper and everybody feels bad about it because it's not the flagship chip, Apple can just put its flagship chip in. I'm not saying that it is slower. I, I'm sure it's not. But if that, like, they could. They have, they control the complete stack. They're getting whatever customizations are getting on their 5G modems. Uh, and that that ability makes them, makes it possible for them to say, this is like the full, you know, full fat iPhone in the smaller size. You know, if you look at Apple's comparison charts and stuff like that, the, the mini does have less stated battery life. So I think it's something like 20% less if you look at like their video playback because they don't they don't really uh, express battery life in a sensible way. But the, the point is like, yes, it's a smaller phone. You should expect less battery life. That only makes sense. It's logical. But is it so much less battery life that actually like matters? Like we learned with the 11s last year, the 11 has exceptional battery life. It's, you know, it's it will last all day for the vast majority of people, even though Apple still rates it at like whatever X hours a day. Uh, 
the point is, I mean, if you're able to get nearly that with a smaller phone that's more comfortable in your pocket, if you've got, you know, smaller hands, you've just been tired of the surfboard phones, uh, and, and you're still getting all the other features of the 12. Same cameras, same display, same processor, like Dieter mentioned, same build quality, same design, same colors. Like, that's that's a significant thing that we have not seen. What we've seen in the past, especially from Apple, is they built the SE, which is technically a smaller phone, but that's built for a price point. That's built yep. to hit $399. It's built to hit uh, that sub $500 crowd. This is a phone that's not built for a price point. It's built for a size. And it's built for somebody who is looking for a smaller device and doesn't want to compromise on that smaller device. And I think that's pretty interesting and pretty exciting. It's built for a price point. It's built to say that what the, I mean, yes. that the iPhones start at. It's, <laughs> it is. And it's, the, the existence of the mini allows a regular iPhone 12 to cost more. Yes, which it does. Yes. But it's not so aggressively priced down that it becomes like a budget phone. You're still getting a high mid-range, almost premium phone just in a smaller package. Yeah, and the 11 is still there if you want the bigger screen, right? So if you look at their pricing chart, it's like every price from 399 to 1100 like they it's did wild. It. Dieter just made a video about like yeah. Samsung pricing, Apple is hit Samsung pricing. Uh, other little notes about the phone. This was particularly interesting to me. So they the front is covered in what they're calling ceramic shield, which is not a coating. The actual material is as we have learned glass ceramic hybrid it actually has ceramic in the the structure of the material and they're not allowed to call it glass because glass does not is not supposed to have crystals in it in this way so it's we have to see but they're very proud of this material this hybrid glass ceramic material that they developed with corning the back is still just the same glass as before yep well, just, but it's pretty good glass. But so the the point of this uh, ceramic glass hybrid material. See, we got it's, it's like we're being baited into calling it ceramic shield. Uh, <laughs> like we need to come up with our own name. It's for drop durability. It's not necessarily for scratch durability. Scratch durability would probably be the same, but it's a thing to to like maybe wait for because we've seen corning increase drop and then decrease scratch and vice versa. It's hard to do both at the same time. In theory, what the the ceramic shield allows them to do is not have to reduce scratch resistance in order to improve drop resistance. Um, that's that's why it's very interesting and why I'm really excited to, to see how it performs. And their their claim is it's 4x more resistant to shattering on drops, 4x drop resistant. And they're saying that's not just because of the new material, but because the edges are flat. And so they're like, yeah, when you drop it, like you're more like, and I was like, that is, it's crazy that you've quantified that. I appreciate you. <laughs> um, that was like my only reaction to that is yeah. there's like some engineer had to do that math on that reason and like come up with the answer and I appreciate the effort we should take a break we got to talk about MagSafe we got to talk about the charger not being in the box we got to talk about these cameras but we got to take a break we'll be right back if you game you know settling into your battle station feels enlivening but gaming on Alienware gear with Intel Core i9 processors, it's more than that. It's a feeling you won't forget. It's where intentional design blurs the line between fantasy and reality. It's where your gear feels like an extension of you. Sometimes it's so immersive, so responsive, you can't tell yourself from your machine. If you're ready to feel one with your gear, start gaming at Alienware.com, featuring the Alienware M15. 
The Perfect Weapon, an HBO documentary film directed by John Maggio, explores the rise of cyber conflict as the primary way nations now compete with and sabotage one another. Cheap, invisible, and devastatingly effective, cyber warfare is the future of geopolitical conflict, and it is developing at an alarming pace. Based on the best-selling book by New York Times national security correspondent David E. Sanger, the film draws on interviews with top military, intelligence, and political officials for a comprehensive, thoroughly captivating view of the ominous impact cyber conflict has on the world at large. The Perfect Weapon is now streaming on HBO Max. Okay, do you want to start with MagSafe, or do you want to talk about the charger coming out of the box? I mean, it's part of the same story, question mark. So the charger is not in the box anymore. Neither are headphones, which two years ago now, I interviewed the CEO of Anker, like right when they were on their meteoric rise. And he was like, eventually there will be no chargers in the box. Like, we got to stop making these chargers. That's why we make power banks. And like, he was, remember we talked about GAN a lot? Yep. Like, he's like, this is the future, like. And I was like, you are a crazy dreamer, but I love a hustler, right? Like, this is great. I mean, it's good for Anchor if there's no charger in the box. That's that's really what it is. It's it, There's no charger in the phone box is a good thing for Anchor. Can I address this right now? Because I know we're going to yell at each other about it. I know, right, there's no charger in the box, but there is still a lightning cable in the box. Mm-hmm. And everyone's all up in arms because lightning cable is USB-C now. Yep. Which is great. Which is great nope. because mm-hmm. you already have a USB-A lightning cable. The chances that there is a USB-A lightning cable just floating around you is very high if you buy an iPhone, right? But then, like, so, if you, okay. if you are switching from Android to an iPhone, the chances that you have a USB-C charger is very high. Ah, uh, no. That's only if you're switching from an extremely recent Android phone. Like, Samsung switched to USB-C adapters in the box this year if you have an s10 or an s9 and you buy an iphone this year your charger from samsung has a usb a port on it so if you wanted to get conspiratorial about it why did they get rid of the 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 ostensible reason for getting rid of the ac adapter in the box is uh it's a wasteful because you're making a bunch of things that end up in landfill uh everyone has one anyway and it lets them get the box smaller and lighter so they can fit more of them on a pallet, which saves on all sorts of carbon emissions and so on. Um, okay, so smaller and lighter fit on a pallet, uh, yes, better for the environment for sure. But the the question of does everybody already have an AC adapter is like a tougher one because I think fewer people have USB-C AC adapters than people have USB-A AC adapters. They've got drawers full of the USB-A ones. I personally wish that everything would just move to USB-C. I personally think that um, asking someone to, like, you, you buy an AC adapter, and that's, like, your AC adapter for life, you know, for however long it lasts. You buy one, you can choose the one you want that's got one or two or three ports on it or whatever. That's great. Um, I wish it meant that the price of the iPhone went down a commensurate amount uh, to the, you know, whatever the cost of the AC adapter is. That was, you know, uh, that was a real, real, uh, real optimistic of me to think that there would be like a choice between a discount <laughs> or getting an AC adapter. They made the accessories cheaper. Yeah. The yeah, chargers are 10 bucks cheaper. The ear pods are 10 bucks. Do you think a pair of ear pods honestly cost them money to make? <laughs> <laughs> they probably cost more to ship than to make. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying what we like a couple hundred thousand people listen to the show. I'm at the point where I could probably ship an AC adapter to every listener of this show. <laughs> like, there's just a room full of them over there. I mean, I would say, Neelai, 
you're not representative of the typical <laughs> smartphone buyer. Like, I think we can all agree none of us in this show are representative of the smartphone buyer. Like, I've got a drawer behind me as well. The point is... Between you and me, everyone gets two. This is a great service <laughs> to America. Except for the shipping costs and fuel. I'm just saying... Yeah. I, and the boxes and the packages. I am the cynical, snarky one, and I actually buy the environmental argument here. Oh, so do I. I, I don't buy it for a second. Oh, come I on. I don't buy it for a second. I think what it does is it really is great for Apple. It shrinks Apple's carbon footprint because it allows Apple to use the smaller boxes and to ship fewer things and all that stuff. But all it does is it offsets that carbon footprint to the company that you eventually buy the brick and the headphones from. So you're going to need a different cable or you're going to need a different charging brick or head or you're going to need replacement headphones you don't need it it's a lightning cable yeah or you, but you've already got that cable or you're going to buy that brick less often and you know what like let's let's assume that apple is being a thousand percent cynical and machiavellian about this they're only doing it because they can shave that money off the cost of the building materials and they can charge you know the same money that costs them less they're only doing it so they can sell more of their accessories because, ha, 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 they left a USB-C cable in there instead of a USB-A cable. So some people are going to have to go out and buy the charger from Apple. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> like, go every single step down the line. Take the worst possible interpretation of Apple's decisions here. It's still good because it's still good for the environment. I don't care. But I, I, I my, my take is... It's not as good for the environment as Apple is claiming because it is just offsetting that carbon cost to someone else. And it offsets that device cost to you. You're not saving money when you buy an iPhone without a charger. You are having to spend money more on top of the iPhone if you want a charger with it. So, like, P- people aren't going to buy a charger with every single phone purchase. That's right. It's the, the attach the rate, right? Like, yeah. Last year, you were guaranteed to manufacture one brick per iPhone. If they bring that number down at all, that's a win. It's not like Anker sales or Belkin sales are going to skyrocket for five watt USB C bricks. Don't tell that to the CEO Anker; he'll feel. <laughs> well, I, I just, think that's what Anker wants. I mean, it would maybe. I don't know. Like, I, we'll see how it plays out. I just think it's. I'm the one who gets mad at Apple when they take things out of the box or remove things from the phone. Yeah, and I'm I'm totally like I am so happy. I don't have to throw this thing in a drawer and never think about it again. <sighs> We haven't gotten to the ultimate point of this, which we'll get to. There's no USB-C on the phone itself. (laughs) That's not the ultimate point. Well, there's that point, but like the MagSafe conversation is like the ultimate point. And the ultimate end game of this is you're not going to have a lightning port or an uh, USB-C port on the phone in a year or two or whatever. Right. And there won't be any cable in the box. Like that's the end game here, right? Uh, So MagSafe, by the way, what a troll of a name. Yep. Everybody misses this port <laughs> from their MacBook so much. And like you, you're like in dongle hell yeah. watching this event. And yeah. Apple's like, we're bringing MagSafe back. And you get this warm flicker of a glow. And they're like, it's a giant circle for your phone. What's safe about it? The point of MagSafe is that it would uh, detach from your laptop uh, when you tripped on it. So the laptop wouldn't go flying. Do you think that your phone is going to detach from this circular magnet when you trip on the cable and it won't go flying? There's nothing <laughs> no. safe about it. Yeah, but it's, I'm saying they're trading on the goodwill we had towards rational ports and laptops. And instead, it's a circle. So it looks very much like the, like the Apple Watch charger. It's Qi. Mm-hmm. So yep. the phones can still charge using your old Qi charger. There's a lot of confusion about this yesterday. So you can still just charge your phone on any old wireless charging pad you have. If you buy Apple's MagSafe one, yep. it will use magnets to click on the back of the phone, align itself, 
and charge it 15 watts, which yep. is faster than most, mm-hmm. not as fast as a cable, but the magnets are strong enough to hold the thing on the back of the phone. And I swear to God, the point of this is so that when you get in bed at night, your phone's almost dead and you still want to screw around on your phone while plugged in. Yep. You can. That's what it, that's a hundred percent why they made this happen. Only if they made it like a six foot cable though. You, but I'm sure that, so it's an open standard. They've published the spec. There's not, there's like some MFI stuff floating around, but anybody <laughs> can just, it's magnets. They can't, they can't DRM the magnets as far as I can tell. The question so, is, can they, can they MFI made for iPhone DRM the 15 watt charging speed? They definitely MFI Apple watch chargers. So yeah, so they're, they're definitely, there's little NFC tags in the cases and the official stuff. So I'm sure they can software rate limit the charger, but anybody can make a mount. Belkin's already making car mounts. Scotia is already making car. Like it's happening. This is the accessory ecosystem for the iPhone. Yep. And it is all happening. So that is built out so that when they take the port off the phone, everyone's <laughs> already used to clicking little circles on the back. Yeah. It is. A, by the way, that it, we've had this whole environmental conversation. Mm-hmm. The MagSafe circle looks very big. Yeah. Like compared to how tiny a lightning cable is, like it's a giant, like it's like a coaster that you're like throwing around. Wireless chargers uh, waste electricity compared to a cable. Yep. They're, they're radically less efficient. And so it's not good for the environment to use a wireless charger. Apple buys Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> That's confirmed. <laughs> you thought the conspiracy theory was taking the port off the phone. I'm saying they're they're buying Tesla. Everyone gets a Tesla Powerwall, a solar roof. It's all happening. I think MagSafe is exciting. I, for one, like I have a wireless car charger mount in my car, and mm-hmm. it's the it's the best. And so being able to just like throw your phone on there and take it off is really awesome. There are already all kinds of magnetic cases for that. Um, I keep thinking about my little Osmo gimbal. Yeah. And so the new one has a magnet, but you still have to like fiddle with a clip to get on your phone. If that thing just becomes a MagSafe attachment. Yeah. That's awesome. Like there's a million things you are taking your phone in and out of. Yeah. Plus they're going to sell more pants because people will have to buy special pants with an extra pocket with a protective line around it to keep it from demagnetizing credit cards. Like <laughs> battery packs that just magnet on the back that solves your iPhone mini problem. Yeah. Like there's just like a bunch of cool ideas that happen when you have, uh, you, you can attach things to a phone. Yeah. I guess the, the question is how strong are these magnets? Can they hold the weight of a battery pack? Can they stay, keep your gimbal mounted while mm-hmm. you're, I don't know, doing extreme sports? Like, <laughs> you're like, whatever gimbal people do. <laughs> Yeah, you know, what do you do <laughs> with those stuff when you're bombing down the snowboard mountain? Will those magnets mess with the compass? Because that was a problem on the first phone that had uh, magnets Ding. and a wireless charger, the Palm Pre. Just pointing that out. <laughs> I'm just going to say I'm pretty sure like Palm rushing the phone out the door and they're like, crap, the compass doesn't work. Like on their like Kanban board of problems, like was far below like Sprint exclusive. Yeah. Hopefully Apple is like, did anybody check the magnets? And like 5,000 Apple engineers were assigned to that problem. I think it's really (laughs) neat. I do think that it's obvious that the march to taking the port off the phone is underway. I have very mixed feelings about this. Deeply mixed feelings about this. But for now, it's got a port. I know we were cracking jokes about it, but if they really wanted to do the right thing for the environment and they really wanted to have courage, they would switch from Lightning to USB-C. It is the same cable that's being 
every charge used to charge every other consumer electronic that's you know modern, other than stuff that's trying to save a penny here or there to go to like micro USB. It's the same cable for the Mac. It's the same cable for the iPad Air. It's better for the environment because it's more efficient than a wireless charger. Like, what do you get out of? dropping the lightning port and going portless other than you get to say you were portless. We've seen portless phones. They're dumb. I don't... <laughs> you can't... Fa- like th- Unless they've got a wireless charging standard that is radically better than MagSafe, which is only 15 watts, like, you can't fast charge. You just can't. So I I know it's funny. Haha, they'll never switch to it. Why are you obsessed with this? But these are just choices Apple decided to make. And they could have chosen to switch to USB-C move the standard forward, improve the USB ecosystem for everybody, and like have fewer cables in addition to fewer AC adapters out in the world. It was a mistake. I fully agree with you, Dieter, but I'm going to play the advocate and say removing the port removes a failure point on the phone, so that's one less thing to break. And breaking ports is a, is a thing that happens when you're, you, know, you drop it when it's plugged in or whatever. And it obviously will make construction or manufacture less costly because there's less component to be putting in there. I've said I've said the advocate piece mm-hmm. that all said I fully agree with you, Dieter. I'd rather see a USB-C port on it. Well, we did an entire segment just on USB-C, which is the most thing we could do, mm-hmm. to be honest. <laughs> Let's talk about connector standards for 30 minutes. We got to take a break. We got to talk about these cameras. I have so many thoughts about Dolby Vision. And there's a, there's a little baby HomePod to talk about. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by CuriosityStream. There's nothing like nonfiction storytelling that's both riveting and enlightening. And there's no better place to find it than on CuriosityStream right now. CuriosityStream is the world's first streaming service focused exclusively on unforgettable documentary movies and television shows. When you sign up for CuriosityStream, which costs less than $2 a month, you get instant access to thousands of documentaries and nonfiction television shows diving into topics like technology, travel, basically any other subject you can think of. They have a ton of expert curated collections, so you can find exactly what you're in the mood for with just a few clicks, whether that's a biography, a David Attenborough classic, or a deep dive into quantum physics. Plus, CuriosityStream works seamlessly across all your devices, so you can enjoy some brain-boosting documentaries wherever you may be. Get lost in a massive collection of docs and make your entertainment a little more enlightening. Sign up for CuriosityStream today at curiositystream.com slash verge and get a full year of incredible docs for just $15. That's curiositystream.com slash verge to get access to the very first documentary streaming platform for less than $2 a month. All right, Nilai, how many lights are there (laughs) when you play video that's shot with an iPhone 12? So a thing we know, this is a real thing we know. (laughs) Dieter and I live log the events. We did. And Apple reads them. And now because the events are just videos, they're like reading them in real time. Yeah, they got nothing else to do. They're not like sitting watching it. They're not literally on stage. So like we're live, we're live vlogging away. You know, everyone's doing their infomercials now. We're like live vlogging and they get to Dolby Vision camera, which is very exciting, extremely in my wheelhouse. And it's great that they're doing it. 10,000 questions about how this worked. So I start live logging on the questions. And then like a little later, like here's all the answers to your questions. <laughs> so here's what I know about this camera so far. We got to get it. We got to use it. We got to see how it works in practice. So before we get too far down the Dolby Vision rabbit hole, just as a reminder, the iPhone 12 mini and the iPhone 12 have two cameras, a wide and ultra wide with slightly better aperture. The iPhone 12 Pro adds a 
telephoto camera, but otherwise seems like it's pretty much the same, except it can do 4K60 in Dolby Vision. And then the iPhone 12 Pro Max has a larger sensor for the main wide camera, which is very interesting. And it also has a LiDAR sensor, which gets used for mapping the room or whatever, but also for certain camera effects like that require depth or fast. Fo- so they can use it for focusing in low light. So the, the, the Little Pro has LiDAR too. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sorry. The Little Pro has LiDAR too. So they, they use it for focusing in low light, which everybody does with uh, laser, laser autofocus, but they're also using it for like depth. Yeah. Which seems very cool. Yeah. Like, and we've gotten a little taste of what LiDAR and these camera systems can do with the iPad. Got to test it. I, I do think being able to do portrait mode at night, it's a, like I said, it's all edge cases, right? And like they're making those better. I think that's great. Yep. So presented with the idea of uh, LiDAR being used to revolutionize camera photography, Neil, I wants to talk about how uh, HDR standards work. Yes, that is correct. Okay, great. Here we go. <laughs> I mean, we'll see. Like, I think it's going to be an incremental year for the iPhone camera. I really do. Okay, interesting. We'll see. Maybe, li- you know, maybe portrait at night is great. I think the LiDAR sensors are there because they are building an AR ecosystem for their eventual glasses, which is very clever. But yeah. shipping a LiDAR sensor on hundreds of millions of phones, which they're moving towards very smart, but much like 5G, I think LiDAR is there as a, well, eventually someone will figure out what to do with this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's how I feel about the 5G meta. Dolby Vision. So they say it can shoot Dolby Vision, it can shoot HDR. It is right now very difficult for the average person to make an HDR video. Very easy for the average person to watch an HDR video. You just get your HDR TV, you download Netflix or Disney Plus or Apple TV Plus, hit play. The lights come on, the Dolby Vision light comes on or comes on the screen, and you're watching HDR. Why is HDR good? You get higher peak brightness, so you get more luminance, and usually bundled with HDR, not as part of the same standard, but they usually come as a package pair. You get a wider color gamut, so you get more colors. Right. Those are good things. And that... That increased luminance at the peaks makes things look just a little bit more realistic in a way that no other real TV standard had done until since basically HD. Like you, you will actually it actually looks natural when there's a sun in a dark room or whatever. I would rather have HDR in a wider color gamut than 4K. Yeah, like there's there's something about it that I think looks great. Other people feel very much differently. Anyway, great, very easy to watch, very hard to make. You could make. HDR content, Dolby Vision HDR 10 with any number of cameras that already exist. So like I have an RX 105. You can set it to shoot in S log two, which is like an ungraded raw format. And then you can like grade it into HDR because the sensor is capturing all the data. It's really what format are you putting it out into the world in? What format right. are you creating? So kind of saying uh, we made a Dolby Vision camera. I keep saying this is basically like saying we made a JPEG camera. Right. Like it just what they're talking about is the output format of the camera, of the video. So you're saying that it's it's easy to watch and it's technically easy to for the hardware of a camera to shoot. But the difficult part is making sure that the data that the camera, the hardware, the camera shoots turns into that HDR format. Yeah, I can't think given how fast these phones are now, the fact that like three year old Sony effectively point in shoots. I know the RX 100 isn't really point in shoot, but you get what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Like. Several year old Sony handheld cameras can <laughs> capture a video that can be turned into HDR. I'm confident that last year's iPhone could shoot S log two and export this. It might be slower. Right. Okay. So the iPhone 
12 Pro can shoot HDR video and export Adobe Vision at 4K 60, and then the regular 12 can do it at 4K 30. I'm guessing this is like a RAM limitation. It seems obvious the Pro would have more RAM. Okay, here's the real part. Because Dolby Vision is an output format, they're not actually shooting in Dolby Vision. They're shooting in a different HDR format called HLG. Okay. And that is the thing that's actually on your phone. Until you tell the phone to send it somewhere. And so you can send Ooh. it to an Apple TV over AirPlay. If you have TVOS 14 on your Apple TV, it'll play mm. Dolby, it'll play Dolby Vision, which means there's a conversion happening somewhere in there that we don't know about. And then this is the crazy one. If I airdrop you or message or use iMessage to send you a video, the system yeah. will say, "Oh, you've got an iPhone 8 or later or a newer iPad or a Mac running Big Sur." You can handle mm -hmm. this. We'll send you a Dolby Vision file. If not, it'll send you a regular file. So a regular file, what is a regular file? A standard 4K Rec. 709 standard brightness, standard color space file. So my, my question here is, why does Apple hate files? I don't know how many files are on the phone. <laughs> like, I've been, tr I've been puzzling this out. When you yeah. hit record, it makes a file. That file, necessarily, because that file is so incompatible with other things... Like, if you play a Dolby Vision file on a non-Dolby Vision TV, it will look crazy. Right. Like, it, it'll just look nuts. The colors are all out of whack. It'll look washed out and crazy. Like, yeah, yeah. So they need to have... Do you remember we had this story earlier this year about um, people taking the AP test? Yes. Yeah. And Monica Chin wrote it, and the College Board's website was not configured to take HEIC photos from iPhones. So kids were, like, bombing out of their AP test. They wanted to retake it. Imagine that, but for every video you take on your iPhone. Yeah. Right. Nothing is compatible with the videos that the iPhone makes as it shoots Sony Vision. Yeah. The solution would be to like save two files, which seems like a pain. Doesn't in the seem ass. like they're doing. They told us it's only like ten or fifteen percent bigger. I think this. I think they're actually. We'll see. I just think what they're actually doing is they're keeping the HLG. So HLG stands for Hybrid Log Gamma. HLG <laughs> was <made laughs> HLG was created by NHK, a Japanese broadcaster in the BBC, for live events. It's the broadcast. Standard. So last year, remember, we covered Fox doing NFL games in mm -hmm. HDR. They were broadcasting in HLG. And at some point, you had to convert it to Dolby Vision or HDR 10. So it's like the Sony calls it instant HDR. You can shoot in HLG, even though it's not really made for it, but you can. And the thing that is good about HLG is that it, if you play back that file in an SDR TV, it looks fine. Okay. So it's a more compatible file or more right. compatible standard for video. It's kind of like the JPEG of HDR standards. Yeah. So my question is, if it's capturing HLG, which we know, that's the file on your phone, when do they turn it into Dolby Vision? Mm. I don't know the I don't know the answer. <laughs> like you it's and the reason I keep saying it's like a JPEG camera is like JPEGs don't magically turn into PNGs just because you want to or you say it did. It has to do it sometime. Right. And I don't know when that happens and I'm dying to find out. And I like Apple does not want to talk to me about its file system. It does not want to talk to me about on the fly re-rendering a video. Like, right? Like these are just at the DNA level, Apple is not like, well, there's a directory on your iPhone. Like they just yeah. <laughs> that's not how they want you to think about it. It, it took them to like iOS 12 to admit that there was a file system there in the first place. <laughs> like they don't want to do that. So a million questions about Dolby Vision video capture on the iPhone, like all related to the wonkiest file format details you can imagine. Yeah. Coupled with having basically to explain 
what HDR is and why you'd want it in the first place. That said, you can play like the iPhone 11 has has a Dolby Vision compatible screen. And so you go to Netflix or you go play an Dolby Vision video from from iTunes. Yeah. You play a Dolby Vision movie from iTunes. The screen will get brighter and it does look good. And the iPhone 11, like you could see it look good in a way the iPhone 10 did not. That's pretty exciting for like the videos you shoot. I'm probably the only person who really cares about the file formats, but I mean, who am I? What is this show? Why are you here? We just spent 30 <laughs> minutes yelling about magnets. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, to me, that's like the, one of the most interesting bits and bobs of this phone is they made a big deal out of it. All of them can do it, by the way. The iPhone 12 mini can shoot Dolby yep. Vision, the iPhone 12, the, the, you know, the, the two pros. So we'll see. It, I just where you, even if it's on your phone, you can only send it right now to other iPhones and to Macs running Big Sur, maybe to some Apple TVs. We, you know, like, where is that conversion happening? But you can send it, you can play it on Apple TV. Can you send it to YouTube? Is Instagram going to support Dolby Vision HD? Like, is TikTok, like, will it make your TikToks look better? I mean, it's all be wild. I mean, someone's got to do it. I should point out, by the way, Apple's not the first to this in the way that, right, they made a big deal out of it. I'm sure it will cause the ecosystem to move. You can shoot HDR10 Plus on a Samsung Galaxy S10. No one does it. No one. <laughs> but you can flip that switch and do it. One of the reasons no one does it is because HDR10 Plus is like Samsung's riff on HDR10. And so yeah. like it only works if you are playing it back on a Samsung TV in HDR10 Plus, which maybe I'm sure there's some people who live in that ecosystem. And when you when you turn on that toggle on a Samsung phone, it like warns you. It says may not be compatible with other <laughs> devices. So like it's, and it's also buried in like a lab setting and stuff like that. Yeah. Like it's fully capable of it, but you're right. Nobody does it for these compatibility reasons that we've been talking about for the past 15 minutes. And there's like a Reddit forum. that's like Bixby stands. It's like, we're in the Samsung ecosystem. We've been doing it. Though. Come at me, Bixby stands. Just dogs wearing shoes. All right. That's enough of me ranting about file systems. Dan, it's time for you to rant about the HomePod mini. <laughs> Yeah, so they did it. They made a less expensive HomePod. I mean, like, yeah. this is like the thing that, I don't know, when did the HomePod come out? 2017, 2018? And it was $300. And everyone was like, I can buy an Echo Dot for a quarter, like a literal quarter. <laughs> Why would I buy this? And so, like, now Apple has a smart speaker that's priced at $99. It's priced head-to-head with the new Nest Audio from Google, the new Echo from Amazon, which are both new things for this fall. So it's like they are right in the mix. It is physically smaller. It's about, Apple said, 3.3 inches tall. We don't really know the size of the actual speaker inside of it. Mm. Uh, but the thing itself is about 3.3 inches tall, which is, um, I don't know, the size of a Yankee candle. What, what's it, what is it in regard to the size of a Magic 8-Ball? Because my God. That's, that's my preference for uh, sphere-shaped. I think it's a little smaller than a Magic 8-Ball. I, I want to... Than the standard Magic 8-Ball or the Magic 8-Ball Pro Max? Ooh, yeah, yeah. You know yeah, that there's like the 12-inch Magic 8-Ball? <laughs> what, what, happens, what happens when you shake the HomePod mini? Does it? Does Siri Siri like, just you yells answer? at you. Stop shaking me. So it has it has it like top display that's not a display like that shows little glowy lights or whatever. Yeah, and so yeah, it, it's got a lot of design elements from the original uh, HomePod in that it's got that kind of multicolor LED display on top that doesn't display like information, but it just lights up when Siri is listening to you mm-hmm. and Siri speaking. It's got some volume controls on there, and then it's got that same fabric mesh surrounding it. But instead of being a cylinder shape like the HomePod. It is a ball because spheres are so hot right now. So it's a it's less expensive. It's 
obviously not going to be as impressive on the audio side of things as the HomePod. It only has one driver in there, and then it's got like two passive radiators. They call it base radiators for uh, base. So it doesn't have all the tweeters. And then it has like a cone underneath that they say is doing some other kind of audio shaping. Yeah, it's it's so so the speaker faces down and like it projects down, which is actually the same way that the old Echoes worked. The the old uh, tennis ball tube Echoes, their speakers fired down onto what looks like a, a rounded cone and that cone then bounces the sound out and projects it out into the room. Uh, so that's the way that this is working. And what that does is it allows 360 degree audio. So if you can put this in the middle of your room, Apple's demos during its event, they were all like putting the thing in the middle of the room and then strategically shooting the camera so you couldn't see the power cord. Uh, <laughs> like <laughs> the thing that nobody ever actually does, uh, it, it puts out 360 uh, audio, which is kind of interesting because as we saw, and I think as we talked about maybe a week or two ago, Google Nest and Amazon have both shifted their designs this year to more directional audio because nobody puts smart speakers in the middle of the room. So that said, it does 360 audio. You can also put two of them in the same room and they'll it automatically become stereo, which is pretty cool. Uh, you can do that with the Nest Audio, and you can do that with Echoes, but it's a setup process. Apple's saying this is like, basically, they just know they're in the same room, and they, they become stereo. Well, so they have you they have ultra-wideband in some way. Yeah, So and then they also have ultra-wideband, so they can like interact with your phone. If you've got an iPhone 11 or newer, they can tell when your phone is nearby. You can throw music or podcasts or whatever from your phone to the speaker. Apple says there's like this kind of like haptic interaction that makes it feel like you're physically transferring the audio to the speaker. We'll have to see how real that is. And then there's a big rumble when you just throw Spotify out. You're just like, get out of here, Spotify. <laughs> Anybody that comes to your house with an iPhone can like walk up to the speaker and ho hold their phone next to it and get the song information. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, there's like a bunch of little tricks in there. And, the, and it's great to see that like Apple's actually using the ultra wide band radio that's been in the <laughs> iPhone for a year uh, for something practical other than like a car key for a car you don't own. But there's, there's that. And then, of course, there's the always listening microphones. It's got Siri in there. So you can control HomeKit devices. You can ask Siri to play music and things like that. Not Spotify. <laughs> you can play music from like a handful of services, uh, but not yet Spotify. Spotify apparently would have to build support for it, which they haven't done yet. Yada, yada. And, you know, manage your calendar and things like that. And then I think one of the most interesting things to me as someone who lives in a f home with a family and other people is that depending on who's speaking to Siri on the HomePod mini, it will personalize answers to them. Uh, so it can tell what your voice is or it's using your proximity of your personal iPhone to customize responses so you can get your own calendar as opposed to like a shared calendar or your own to-do list as opposed to a shared one. So I think that's really interesting. We've seen Amazon and Google try to do that with voice matching and they both kind of, eh, not so great. So uh, it will be interesting to see if Apple's able to pull that off. But the point of this is there's now an accessible smart speaker in the Apple HomeKit ecosystem that'll be out there and will actually maybe compete with Amazon and Google on a more footing than it has been in the past. This thing is going to compete on sound quality, right? If you're already got smart speakers, you're going to stay in that ecosystem. They have to convince you to switch. Siri, it all really, I think, comes down to sound quality. I mean, Apple yeah. really can't compromise on it. That was the whole point of the first HomePod. One interesting thing, though, it doesn't do proper full-on room tuning where it like, detects the shape of the room. It right. just it does customize the music to 
the acoustic signature of the HomePod itself. I'm sorry. I rolled my eyes so hard during <laughs> yeah. this thing. Apple's like, we're doing computational audio. And I was expecting room tuning. Room tuning. I was expecting HomePod stuff, right? The HomePod has like multiple microphones. It, it measures the excursion of the woofer to get more bass. If you move it, it'll do it again with inside. I mean, we did the, my whole review was like, how does this thing work? Yeah. Beam forming. This thing is like just some speakers. And what they're saying computational audio is this was their diagram was they had a sound wave mm -hmm. and there was a line and the sound wave was one color and then it passed through the line and it got a little bit smaller and turned into a different color. That doesn't just happen by magic, Neil. I mean, you need a computer. <laughs> I mean, they might have been like, they might as well have been like, yo, it's got mega bass. Like, they're just doing like SRS wow. Google does the same thing with the Nest Audio. Google's Nest Audio does not do room tuning, even though the Nest Max or the, 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 the whatever their big speaker is called does do room tuning. The Nest Audio does not. What Google says is like they've got an algorithm that's got 2,500 different room placements baked in and it automatically base, looks at the content you're playing and adjusts the audio based on that. And so like it seems like Apple's doing a similar thing to that. And yes, maybe maybe it's a little bit of super extra bass <laughs> on like in terms of like the technical level, but this is a podcast, so you can't see it. But I'm genuinely worried for Neli's health uh, for how he's rolling his eyes right now. Like I've I've seen Come nothing on. but white for the past two minutes. <laughs> I just I don't know what it is about tech companies that when they make speakers, they're just like, yeah, we'll just tell lies. That'll be fine. Like. <laughs> It's crazy. Every one of them is like, it sounds good. And then you play it. You're like, it sounds like a small speaker. Like you can't AI your way out of physics. You just cannot do it. I'll be very interested to compare these. And like, so like at this price point, a hundred bucks, you've got the Nest Audio. That's got two drivers in it. It's got a small tweeter and a, a larger woofer. Yeah. You've got, it's a big bread loaf. It's a big, it's a big ciabatta, ciabatta bread. Uh, tastes good. And then you've got the Echo at $99, which we haven't heard yet, but it's got, uh, a speaker and then two tweeters as well. So it's multiple drivers. They're competing on multiple drivers at this price point. And Apple only has one. And those passive bass radiators are, are like kind of nonsense. So like, can one speaker sound as good as these others that have multiple units? They are all going to sound bad. <laughs> like, I don't, it's like the, the fact that they've even convinced us that what we're talking about is audio quality is insane. I, dis I disagree. They're all going to sound like three inch speakers. I, I, the Nest Audio sounds good. Like it sounds like the average person listening to the Nest Audio is going to be like, "Yeah, that sounds great." Like I'm I can turn drive to your house with like a, a set of good speakers from like 1972, and you're going to be like, "Oh yeah." Yeah, no, I don't disagree, but those are also enormous and heavy and expensive, and they require a receiver and a player and all this other stuff. Like, like I know, I understand that convenience trumps all. I'm just saying they have managed to negotiate us down to being like. Yeah, this doesn't sound like a potato. And we're like, the AI is working. And it's like, all right, we'll see. Maybe they're going to blow me away. Uh, maybe I have hope. I'm an optimist. This is the where I'm optimistic. I'm way more excited about the HomePod mini than I was ever about the original HomePod. So I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to try it out. I think that is like the HomePod just from the jump seemed way overpriced. Um, although they are regularly discounted now, apparently when they get discounted by like a hundred dollars, they're selling. Okay. But, um, actually that's <laughs> the other thing. The big home pod, when I did the review, the number one question I got about the home pod at the time of the original review is, can I use it on my Apple TV? And because the home pod does have beam forming microphones and can do all kinds of crazy audio processing, it's actually doing it. Uh, you will be able sometime 
to pair two home pods with an Apple TV 4k and they will in some way deliver Dolby Atmos audio to you or 5.1 or to be fair. It is what Amazon's been doing with the echo studio and the fire TV 4k since last year. Like they have the exact same setup. It's wirelessly talking to the uh, fire TV and it sends an Atmos signal. And if you have two of those, I mean, you could do it with one, but it's obviously better with two of those Echo Studios. You can blast Atmos into the room because it's got beam forming and, and speakers all over it, just like the HomePod. So, I mean, I haven't heard those. I mean, the thing with the HomePod is like it's very much designed. You're talking about directional audio. The HomePod is very much designed. Apple knows you're going to put it near a wall mostly. So, like, it sends audio out in the front and then it bounces a bunch of audio off the wall. Like, that's a thing that it wants to do. And I feel like for a surround application, that might work. You might get that height effect. We'll see how it goes. Both Amazon and Apple have the exact same problem, though, which is you pair this stuff with their box and it generates audio from their box. And then when you go to play your game console, you're like, my TV speakers sound amazing because it <laughs> yeah. won't work with any of that stuff. Um, and I just, you know, like maybe maybe Apple Arcade is going to blow away the PS5 and the Series X. And like this is, I just... I don't, I don't think so. So like, it's cool. It's like overdue. They should have always had it, but yeah. if you're going to spend the money on two home pods, do not do it for that. Just buy a sound bar. Cause you'll get way more use out of it. Well, I think Apple knows it. They're, they're not, they're not acting like this is a, a huge deal. That's going to change everything and, and blow home pods off the shelf. Right. It's a, it's a little bonus. If you have a certain kind of setup. Owners of the home pod have been asking for this. So they're adding it like that's what it feels like. And we'll we'll try it out. So I will say when I when I did the Sonos Arc review, I was very skeptical that you could get height based surround and the sense of sound above and behind you from just bouncing audio from a soundbar. And it did really well. So Apple, so if, long as you're in a rectangular box room. Yeah, you got to be in the box. If you're not I, in the box, I mostly spend my time in the basement now. Like that's that's where I spend most of my days. So yeah, it was great for me. Um, that's a lot of Apple stuff. Do we miss? Is there anything we have not been angry about? Uh, this isn't something to be angry about. But Beats also announced new headphones. They're fifty dollars. They're wireless. And Dieter, you could say it. I'm going to let you say it. They switched from Lightning to USB C. Yeah. Do you know why? It's because no one at Apple is paying attention to Beats. Like, this is their, like, are they paying attention? No, they are not. We split USB-C in it. I think Beats is supposed to be their, like, it, it's their uh, mass market brand now. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, like, Beats has always been expensive, though. Forever long knock against Beats was that they were expensive, pretty headphones that weren't actually that good. They've changed that. Like, Beats headphones are actually quite good now, and we recommend them all the time. But they were still on the expensive side. The fact that these are $50, and they're wireless, and they charge with USB-C, which is a great perk. I love these. I'm, I bought them already, right? <laughs> 50 bucks, 12 hours of battery life, charges via USB-C, pauses the music when they click together with magnets, which they should have done in the first place, and they finally added that. Um Working from home, like, they're just always around your neck. You don't have to fiddle with putting the headphones in and out. No cable, which is great. And, like, when somebody in your house walks by and wants to talk to you, they don't have to, like, scope out your ear to see if you've got an earbud in there before they can tell if they can hear you. They can just see the wire from the neck bud. Love them. Very excited. They also help take the sting a little bit out of the fact that the iPhone doesn't come with a headphone now because you can buy what appear to be decent wireless ones from Apple for $50. With a completely different charging standard. <laughs> and they're different charging. A whole other cable. <laughs> this thing got a little weirder. <laughs> uh, that's a little weird. No, I just meant Beats as the mass market brand in that, like, they're clearly positioning AirPods 
to be their halo, right? There's all the rumors of the actual AirPod headphones. I don't know. I I find it hard to see AirPods as not being the mass market brand. They are so immensely popular. They are like as as mainstream as it gets for headphones are AirPods, right? And maybe AirPods Pro are the premium and maybe the, the over ears that we've been rumored forever and haven't yet come out will be along the pro line and, and up there. But like, I don't know. It's, it's hard to see what they're doing with beats. Like, like you said, like no, nobody, it feels like nobody at Apple cares about beats anymore because the AirPods are the new baby. But like, yeah, I'm telling you there's USB-C on these headphones. It's just a test. Like they all came into the office yesterday it's like the rogue android users yeah. that are still working at beats yeah like, exactly just doing it <laughs> like they literally they came to the office yesterday and like did anybody call any anyone get an email from tim like anybody <laughs> no all right like three months from now tim cook calls him up and was like hey my cousin told me we make what the hell <laughs> i don't know like like i don't know steve beats is, I, I don't know who runs beats uh <laughs> steve beats <laughs> That's not Johnny No, that's that's the guy from Amazon, right? No, that's Steve Boom. Steve Boom Steve, is at Amazon. Music. Steve right. Boom is at Amazon. All right, that's it. A lot of stuff to review coming out. I will. I know we we've dissected in minute detail every feature of these phones. These phones look great. Like they do look great. I'm excited to review them. I'm excited to play with them. I like the blue. The blue looks great. Eh. Wow. Green. The green was great. I love the green last year. It's just an exciting set of announcements. Two phones, the 12 and the 12 Pro, are coming first. The Mini and the Pro Max are coming later. And I will say this. We are due, by the end of the year from Apple, one ARM MacBook, which seems like it will be a big event unto itself. So it feels like there's one more Apple event to come this year, which is very exciting. Also, like uh, the actual iPad Air with the A14 is supposed to be around at some point. So yeah. there's just a lot of stuff. Uh, Apple will out. allow it to be released now that the phones are <laughs> now, now that you can benchmark the A14. I just it's it's going to be a busy it's it's going to be a busy month of reviews and gadgets. It's it's yeah. good. It'll take our mind off the other chaos in the world, <laughs> yeah, which is the FCC directly regulating tweets. <laughs> oh hey, if uh, if you're wondering why we didn't talk about the pixels at all, we are going to do the Tuesday episode on the Pixel reviews. And uh, our guests are going to be uh, David Ruddock from Android Police and Daniel Bader from Android Central. Uh, I'm very excited to talk to like two hardcore Android bloggers that run Android sites about this Android phone. It's going to be super fun. All right, that's it. I, I want to say we went over. It's just like a tradition. that I, I don't know how, how long the show is anymore. We went over your head talking about Dolby Vision. What format is it? So many acronyms. Tell me, just tell me what it's... Okay. Next month, we're working hard at work on it. I'm very excited. We got some guest book. I'm very excited about that. That's coming. That's it. Rock and roll. Vote.